Hey everyone, it's the Monty Man, and you are about to take part in the experience, the strength, and the hope of this episode of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show. Three, two, one, zero. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Come here for a minute. I want to talk to you. expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show are those of the co-host and guest and do not necessarily reflect those of our affiliates. The topics and opinions on today's show should not be considered as medical, psychological, or professional advice. Take 12 Radio is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. And now, here's your host, the man, the myth, the legend, the Monty Man. My goodness sakes. All righty. Well, welcome aboard, everyone, to another fine episode of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show. Listen, um, I wasn't even going to produce this show today and bring it back, but I am feeling compelled to do so. Um, This has been spurred on by something that really disturbed me. By the way, I'm your host, the Monty Man here at KHLT Recovery Broadcasting, broadcasting out of Albany, Oregon, worldwide via the internet on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Uh, Listen, um, something that has disturbed me for a long time, and I'm going to bring it up again, especially in this day and age when it's so important that we, uh, we as members of the faith community uh, rise above looking like the rest of the world, is this whole idea that um, believers in the faith community, uh, particularly within the Christian community, uh, people, particularly in leadership, feel the necessity to post their drinking escapades, um, brag about their alcohol consumption or alcohol inventory, uh, even posting pictures um, of their collection of alcoholic beverages and bragging about it on social media out of one side of their mouth and the other side of their mouth, they're encouraging people and telling people that it's a sin to be intoxicated. Uh, I don't get it. It is a total contradiction. Why in the world would we promote stuff that we're totally against? It makes no sense. Okay, so what about what about people who can drink with impunity? 
What about members of faith and, and, and members of the Christian community that can have a glass of wine with dinner or, or uh, an alcoholic beverage, what is referred to in some circles as an adult beverage, uh, tongue-in-cheek with that one. Uh, what about that? What does the Bible have to say about that? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that with you. Um, so I, I pulled out this piece from a show we did several years ago on alcohol in the church. And I, I want you, for those of you that are already getting your feathers ruffled, I, I want you to, to take some time to not practice contempt prior to investigation. I want you to listen to this. You know, you don't know what you don't know, but once you know, you have a responsibility. I want you to check this out. So we're going to join uh, this show that I produced um, several years back on the topic of alcohol in the church, and then we'll wrap it up at the end. Here we go. So I, 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 I want you to know that I'm talking to those of you in leadership and in influential positions, particularly within the church. This article is called Alcohol in the Church. And some of you aren't going to like this very much. And I know personally, I know about five of you right off the bat, I can name right off the top of my head that are really going to take issue with this. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Because everyone of you that I'm talking about either are pastors or you've been pastors of churches. Uh, churches, by the way, that have had people that have been recovering from alcoholism uh, in your church. Um. And and uh, there's there's a few of you that even have even stated that it's a very dangerous ground for you, and and you still drink. Um. So I, I I want you to listen to this, and I want you to keep in mind not what what's fair, not what's right, not what's your right, but what is wise. What is wise? Don't be a mocker here, okay? Consider what I am saying. Uh, this article from AbidingPlace.org, Alcohol in the Church by Pastor Mark. A Spitzbergen. Uh, it starts out, there have been many erroneous statements made regarding the Bible's disposition with regards to drinking alcohol. The one thing that most biblical scholars from Judaism to Christianity agree on is that the Bible forbids intoxication. It is essential that we recognize that in until medieval times, it was not possible to create an alcoholic beverage with greater than 10% alcohol content. This is only one of the many problems that we have to deal with in comparing what the Bible says about wine and ale with our culture today. Furthermore, kosher wine made by the Hebrews was not made with sugar and yeast. Therefore, the alcohol content was far less. And then once it was diluted with water, according to the tradition, it would be little more than 1% or 2% at most before it turned to vinegar. Also, when we are faced with the fact that the biblical Greek language is handicapped in distinguishing between fresh juice versus fermented juice, things become even more difficult. This point is exemplified by the fact um, that uh, uh, this translates both the Hebrew, uh, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce this, tyrosh, I think, uh, fresh juice, new wine, and yayin, fermented wine, using the same Greek word, uh, oenus. Oenus? Oenus? I'm not very good at that. Okay, finally, faced with the fact that the scripture uses a word that simply means intoxication, uh, by the way, then it 
uh, it states that we are not to be drunk with wine when uh, then we must conclude, rather, excuse me, that all intoxication is forbidden. Uh, we will show in this article that every story regarding the use of alcohol beginning with Noah resulted in shame, curses, and debauchery. Everyone. Uh, Proverbs 21, or 21, wine is a mockery, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived by it is not wise. Introduction. The one thing that is probably said more than anything else to justify drinking alcoholic beverages is that Jesus drank wine. Yet, there is not a single statement in the Bible that declares that Jesus uh, drank any sort of intoxicating beverage at any time in his life, and even worse, that he was ever intoxicated. Rather, we have a clear presentation of his choice on the cross. When the soldiers came to Jesus and presented him with wine, Ionos, he refused to drink it. But when they came with another form of wine, diluted vinegar, he received it. Mark 15, 23, Matthew 27, 34, Mark 15, 36, and Matthew 27, 48, just so you know. In the modern day element of compromise and worldliness uh, that is in the midst of the church, it is imperative to address the issue of alcohol and its place among the saints. First and foremost, the scripture forbids intoxication, making it as much a sin as any other thing. Those who who uh, practice being in an intoxicated state or drunkenness have no inheritance in the kingdom of God or with Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, Galatians 5, 21. Now let me stop here and let me tell you that, that I'm not talking about alcoholism. Okay? There's a big difference between actively being intoxicated and alcoholism. I am an alcoholic. I am allergic to alcohol. I don't drink. So being an alcoholic isn't a sin. Uh, even worse, for anyone in leadership of any kind to represent that drinking alcohol is somehow okay is extremely dangerous, you guys. With the reality that as much as 10% of the population who are exposed to alcohol may be predispositioned to alcoholism puts those who condone and even encourage such practices in the position of casting a stumbling block before a brother. Not uh, not desiring to, that your younger brothers stumble. Matthew eighteen six, Mark nine forty two, and Luke seventeen two. Listen, I know of a pastor. I also know of a layperson that when I mentioned to them that we shouldn't do things that cause our younger brother to stumble, you know what their response was to me? Um. Well, I don't buy that scripture verse. What? Hey, gads. Okay. To conclude that science is in favor of the consumption of ethanol is equally uh, erroneous. The statements that many make in reference to medical science approving of any health benefits associated with the consumption of alcohol is, uh, well, it's, it's not scientifically sound data. In fact, we all know that ethanol uh, possesses a great risk to the majority of uh, our vital organs. Alcohol is a drug, and it is addictive. It is responsible for some of the most horrific health conditions and actions in society. 
just interviewed two or three recovering alcoholics on the subject of drinking, on occasionally beer, wine, and listen as they speak more truth than some holiness preachers on the subject. There are so many false statements made by those who have given themselves to wine. To make matters even more confusing, these church leaders condone drinking wine while at the same time confess that intoxication is wrong. Well, the truth of the matter is, the only reason that wine is consumed is for its intoxicating effect. Amen. We, we drink it for the effect. Uh, we will show in this article that the propensity for church leaders to accept an intoxicated state that wine produces is a sign of the apostasy of the last days. It is also a sign of the judgment of God, which punishes men by giving them over to a dazed and drunken state induced by wine. We must ask ourselves, can one take fire into his lap and not be burned? (laughs) Once we make a compromise with those things that are evil, well, where will it end? Can we tame the power of iniquity and hold it under the control of our pleasure? Do you really, listeners, do you really, listeners, my friends, do you really believe that you can let the devil out of the box and expect him to behave? Do you really? It goes on to say, uh, here there have been a, a more destructive drug to the family. Uh, excuse me, I, the question is, has there been a more destructive drug to the family and society than alcohol? Should not the people of God who are devoted to virtue refuse anything that could weaken the will and jeopardize the well-being of the soul? Why would God's people choose to put themselves at risk as well as lead their children into the destructive effects of alcoholism by its consumption in any measure? Gollies, why would you do that? And by the way, this is the money man speaking now. Why would you put money into that industry that kills more people than any other substance? Oh, lordy. Uh, Even if there were a possibility that using it in moderation would be beneficial to the body, should we put the soul at risk? Should not the church, which is the light of the world, um, responsible to show forth the life that is in Christ Jesus, be so full of the spirit that they would never desire or need to be intoxicated? Well, I, I, I don't drink to intoxication. Really? You know, I'm sure that there are a few of you out there that have a sip. Again, why would you want to put money into that industry? Um, And by the way, I'm not angry at anybody because they can drink and they don't have an issue. I'm very disappointed in our leadership within the church for setting a terrible example. Mm. Um, clearly God has forbidden his people to be intoxicated in both the Old and New Testament Paul said to the believers in Ephesus be not intoxicated with wine as the unsaved Ephesians 5.18 we are to be continually filled with the spirit and recognize that intoxication is an insult to God we are the temples of the Holy Ghost 
the dwelling place of the Most High, and being intoxicated is a defilement of God's temple. Consider the first defined uh, prohibition against the consumption of alcohol in the Bible, and then think of the greater risk that we face today as the temple of the Holy Ghost. The two sons of Aaron, Nahab and Abahu, were struck down by the lightning fire of God and died when they came into the tent of meeting. The first reason is the more obvious one. They brought in unauthorized coals of fire into the presence of Yahweh. The second reason is associated with the consumption of alcohol and its intoxicating effect. Therefore, God said, drink no wine or ale, you or your sons, when you enter the tent of meeting, that you may not die. Leviticus 10.9 Drink no wine or ale. It doesn't say... Uh, just, you know, it's okay to drink a little bit, just don't get drunk. It says drink none. Also, Eli's rebuke of Hannah makes it clear that this prohibition extended not only to the priests, but to all of Israel as well. First Samuel 1, 13, 15. The Bible, excuse me, describes alcoholic drink by two words, wine, yayan, and ale, sekar, to which an eternal prohibition has been prescribed. The use of either cannot be mixed with God's presence. <sighs> I know what some of you are saying. You're justifying right now. Let me tell you, if you've got to justify, then you probably you probably need to rethink that. Uh, finally, alcohol was created for the worship of demonic deities. The intoxicating effect that it produced was both um, created and used for occult worship in ancient times, although few today would admit to using alcohol for such primitive practices and debauchery associated with its usage as a demonic now as any time before. Uh, Babylonian era. But that's what, that's what it was used for. That's, you ever heard of that, that term? Uh, now let's go out and get some ribs and spirits. Why do you think that is? Again, I don't care what's right. I don't care what's fair. What's wise, you guys? I, I, you know what I saw the other day? I, I, saw, I saw a guy that I know, and I love this guy. I do. He means the world to me. But he is in a position of high influence within the body of Christ and the faith community. And he has admittedly said... Uh, not only before a, a congregation of people, but in media, has admittedly said that it is unwise for him to partake in alcohol because of the history of alcoholism in his family. And yet, what's he do? He does it anyway. And then he posts pictures of himself on Facebook with a picture of a big glass of beer. I don't get it. And I'm not talking about freedom in Christ, for crying out loud. I'm talking about wisdom. Oh, it just irritates me. Intoxication. Paul condemns the drinking of wine that produces intoxication in no uncertain terms with the imperative statement, be not intoxicated with wine as the unsaved. Ephesians 5.18. Paul associated the practice not with the saved, 
but with the unbeliever. The proponents of alcohol consumption in the church attempt to draw a line at the point of intoxication. Most church leaders would agree that it is wrong to be intoxicated. However, these same proponents of alcohol consumption demand that there is no prohibition against drinking an alcoholic beverage. The logical question is how can you have one without the other? Intoxication at any level is forbidden. Therefore, where is there an argument for the consumption of an intoxicant? The one biblical word that has become the point of contention is a word that means to cause or to become intoxicated. Um, Methuskeith, by the way, you see there's a word in there, meth. Interesting. There are many who claim that they can consume alcohol without becoming intoxicated, but this is absurd. All right, you're you're going. I I hear you now, right? I can hear what you're saying, right? But I drink and I do not get intoxicated. Okay, so you are one of these that believes that you can drink without becoming intoxicated. Admittedly, from a clinical point of view, we may talk about degrees of intoxication. One may argue that the higher uh, the alcohol levels in the body that there are, uh, there will need to be higher doses of ethanol to achieve the same level of intoxication as those with lower levels of alcohol. Uh, there are also other psychological environmental factors that could be put into the equation to determine the degree of intoxication. But in practical terms, alcohol at any level of consumption produces intoxication. Most the argument comes down to how intoxicated may a person become before they are transgressing trans- the commandment of the Lord Jesus. So is a little bit of intoxication okay? At what line, who, who are you to make the decision? Oh, well, you're too intoxicated. I'm just a little intoxicated. If, if you really believe that you can put a, a highly fermented alcohol into your system and not be under the influence of it, you are deluded. Doesn't mean that you're an alcoholic. I'm just saying you're deluded. (sighs) Paul told us that we are not to have any association with a person who practices being intoxicated. 1 Corinthians 5.11 So remember, back then, we're talking about an extremely low percentage of alcohol, you guys. Really, really low. We're not talking about stumbling down drunk. Intoxicated's intoxicated. Paul named it as a demonic work in Galatians 5.21 and further states that those who participate with it will not inherit the kingdom of God. Intoxication with alcohol is associated with that which men do in darkness, Romans 13.13. The usage of the word darkness in this sense reminds us of what Jesus said. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. John 3.19 The realm of darkness, which is the realm of the satanic, are opposite to everything that the child of God is supposed to be. As intoxication is related to the night, sobriety is related to the day. Just as night is the opposite of day, intoxication, Matthew is the opposite of sober, nepho. So then intoxication is a fruit of the satanic and sobriety 
is a fruit of the Spirit. Sobriety is the trait of those who walk in obedience and in righteousness, even as intoxication is a trait of the wicked who live in iniquity. 1 Thessalonians 5.6.9 When they innocently say that I only have a glass of wine with a meal or socially with friends, but that does not change the association that God has placed on it. Although there may be several definitions for sobriety, in this context, it means not intoxicated. When God's people give themselves over to intoxication at any level, it is a sign of the last days. Jesus said men will begin to say that the Lord has delayed his coming. These servants then leave off being the good stewards who await the return of their master and begin to drink and become intoxicated. The aftermath of intoxication is every kind of injustice and iniquity. Matthew 24, 45, 51. Well, the Apostle Paul had to deal with some in the church at Corinth who had brought their former practices with them and were defiling the table of the Lord through their intoxication. The fellowship of the meal that they had was something like our potlucks, but without the sharing of the food. There were some who had lots of food and drink and others who had nothing. The point that Paul made was that intoxication and fellowship with the Lord were incompatible. The fundamental difference between Christianity and uh, heathenism that sought to impose its influence upon the church was that Christians were filled with the spirit instead of intoxication with the drink that belonged to the cults of that day. Okay. Do you disagree with me? Probably. Um... Did Jesus drink any intoxicating beverages that had the ability to intoxicate at any level? Absolutely not. And there is no biblical account that he did. There is biblical account that he refused it. Well, I'm not Jesus. Oh, really? Um... <laughs> We could go on and on here. Uh, drinking wine. Who has woe? Who has grief? Who is contentious? Who has strife? Who is wounded for nothing? Whose eyes are red? Those who linger over wine. Those who come to inquiry over mixed drinks. Do not look at the wine becoming red, for to one who fixes his eyes on the goblet, all paths are upright. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like uh, an adder. So shall your eyes look after strange women and your heart will utter perverse things. Proverbs 23, 29 and 33. This passage presents the longest and most articulate warning against the use of alcohol in the Proverbs. These words by the man whom God endued with insight and wisdom above other men must be heeded. This warning concerning alcohol are indeed the insights and wisdom of God himself. From ancient times, both rabbis and philosophers, medical practitioners and housewives have noted that wine and ale weakens the will of man and overthrows his moral integrity. The intoxicating beverage transforms otherwise moral and pure people into promiscuous and wild people. 
God warns us that alcohol will cause emotional, social, and physical problems. And you don't have to be an alcoholic. Somebody that has the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body. You don't have to be allergic to alcohol for that to happen. I'm really, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm disappointed. Uh, God's word has been proven to be true regardless of the age in which man lives. Therefore, today we can still be certain that alcohol results in these same problems. It doesn't change. God places the topic of uncleanness as parallel to intoxication. Intoxication with alcohol excites, freshly lusts, and brings men under the control of sensuality. It leaves them too transfixed by the earthly, the sensual, and the devilish. There is no such thing as wrongdoing in the eyes of the one under its influence. Pastors, social workers, physicians, alcoholics, anonymous workers, and leaders of diverse religious groups have spoken often of the devastating consequence of the use of alcohol. They have seen firsthand the devastating effects of wreckage, uh, wrecked marriages, ruined bodies and minds, abused families and successful companies and enterprises entirely ruined by what people fashionably call social drinking. Not alcoholism, social drinking. Longtime baseball coach and manager Connie Mack said that alcohol had no more place in the human body than sand had in a gas tank of a car. Alcohol is a narcotic, not a food. It destroys, not nourishes. It's poisonous. It's toxic. So, I'm asking you guys, you know who I'm talking to. You you know who you are. I may not know who you are, but you know who you are. If if you've got to justify drinking, then you shouldn't be drinking. We could go. I could go into a long explanation of the fermentation process, what it was like in the biblical times. Versus what it's like today. Uh, for time's sake, I, I can't. But I, I'd like to switch my focus a little bit and address something that that probably disturbs me even more than this. Uh, there is a um, there is a movement among Christian some Christian churches, not all, and it's not a new one. It's just called something different now where people are walking around bragging about how they're drunk in the spirit, how they're intoxicated for Jesus, um, how they, they enjoy taking a toke of the ghost. Uh, there's even some in, in circles that uh, make hand motions like they're smoking a joint for Jesus. They're not actually smoking a joint, but they, they go through these motions. What happened to be called out and, and be ye separate? I am all for freedom in Christ. But when the word of God clearly says something and, and, and says don't have any association with this, we shouldn't even be... even. I mean, there's people that, that don't drink a drop, but they're walking around going, oh, I'm drunk in the spirit. I'm drunk. I'm intoxicated with Jesus. Come on. 
The Bible talks very clearly about being sober, sober-minded, of sober heart, of sober mind, of sober intent. Please don't align it with something that is of the demonic, that the Bible clearly states is. You know it was possible for people in the Bible times to actually preserve uh, uh, grape juice so that it would not ferment? Contrary to popular opinion, the problems the ancients encountered in preserving fermented wine was as great as if not actually greater than those faced in preserving unfermented grape juice to prevent fermented wine from becoming acid, moldy, and and smelly. Uh, They would use a host of preservatives such as salt, seawater, liquid, or solid pitch. Boiled down, must, marble dust, lime, sulfur fumes, crushed iris. In comparison to preserving fermented wine, preserving grape juice unfermented was a relatively simple process. It was accomplished by boiling down the juice to a syrup or by separating the fermentable pulp from the juice by the grape by means of filtration or replacing the grape juice in sealed jars, which were immersed in a pool of cold water or by fumigating the wine jars with sulfur before sealing them. Use of such techniques clearly indicates that the means of preserving grape juice without fermentation were known and used in the ancient world. The conclusion is indirectly supported by the teachings and examples of Jesus. Wine in the Bible, a biblical study on the use of alcoholic beverages, uh, is a book I think you should use, you should read. It's by a PhD from Andrews University, Samuel Baccaccini. All right, let's talk about sobriety. You are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then we should not sleep as the rest also do. We should watch and be sober. For those sleeping uh, sleep by night and those having been drunk are drunk by night. But we being of day should be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and hope of salvation as a helmet. First Thessalonians 5, 5 through 8. God's people are called to be sober, not intoxicated. We are the sons of light and the sons of day. If we are intoxicated with alcohol, then by association, we are sons of darkness and of the night. My friend, sobriety is another way of communicating that we are walking in the light and in the truth of God's word rather than being blind and deceived as those who are intoxicated with alcohol. Don't you see that? God's people are sober and are under the control of the Holy Spirit. Sober. I am sober under the Spirit. I'm not drunk in the Spirit. Please don't believe that lie. If you're being taught that, run. Unbelievers are even as those who are intoxicated being controlled by evil spirits, the Bible talks about. So, I've really gotten some of you upset with me. I know. I could go on and on about this. There is so much evidence. And again... 
I know I've lost some of you because some of you aren't, you're not leaders in the church. You're not people of influence in the church. And by the way, it shouldn't matter anyway. Any, anybody that calls themselves a Christian should not be partaking in alcoholic beverages of any kind. That is my, that must my honest, humble opinion. I think it's contrary to, the, to what the Bible teaches. And I think you either have to take all of what the Bible says or none of it. Oh, well, it used to say you can't, or it says you can't shave in public. Would you please pull the needle out of your head? Read things in context. Compromise. I'm talking about compromise, you guys. Folks, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm trying to help you live in freedom, not in bondage. Sometimes things that look like freedom are binding. And if they're not binding us, they're binding somebody else. We are our brother's keeper. So I want you to know what the what the truth is. One in five people in your congregation are your place of worship. One in five are already addicted to some mood mind-altering chemical before they ever put it in their bodies. That's a lot. 10% of the population is uh, is in extreme danger if not going to experience uh, a fatal experience uh, due to alcohol. And they, they, they we're not talking about the alcoholics. We're talking about people that just consume alcohol. You don't have to be alcoholic to get a DUI. You don't have to be an alcoholic to lose your job because of drinking. Listen. You can drive down the street. Okay, if you think this is so smart and you want to hold on to your rights to drink alcohol as a member of of the faith community, I want to... By the way, I don't think it's wise for anybody. Faith community or not. But this is what we're talking about. Then, then I'm going to ask you something. Did you know that if you drive down the street... Let, let's say uh, you go out for a hamburger... Um, you and a couple pastors, and this happens a lot in Europe. You, know, you go out for a hamburger, you go to the pub, and you have yourself one 12-ounce glass of draft beer. No big deal, right? You uh, you get in your car to go home. And as you're driving home, at no fault of your own, uh, a little kid pulls out in front of you on his tricycle from behind a car and you hit that child and unfortunately the child doesn't make it. Did you know that if you had no alcohol in your system whatsoever and you were driving safe, uh, that the likelihood of you being charged with manslaughter would be pretty, pretty nil. But did you know you don't have to be over the legal limit to be charged with involuntary manslaughter and go to prison? If you kill somebody in your vehicle, if you even have a hint of alcohol in your system, if it registers at all, even below the legal limit, and that child dies, or that person dies, Involuntary manslaughter, I guarantee you. You know how I know that? 
personal experience. I personally know of several people that that has happened to. You don't have to be an alcoholic. You don't have to be uh, what I would deem as overly intoxicated to the point of where you're slurring your words and driving like, you know, all over the place. All you have to be is minimally intoxicated. In other words, any consumption of alcohol. So how's that for your right to to drink? How's that for being a responsible member of society? Hmm? So uh, let me let me address uh, those of you who are alcoholics in recovery. If if you're really ticked off because other people can drink and they don't get in any trouble or have any problems, you got to get over that. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm talking about people of influence that are trying to lead by example in their walk. If that's what you're doing, you need to you need to take a personal inventory of yourself and really consider what I've said today. The song says, Mama says you're brain dead, bang your head against the wall. Are you brain dead? I don't think you are. Good guys, bad boys, we're all the same. Saved by grace is the name of the game. Turn around, hit the ground, time to lay your burden down. I'm not scolding you, although it sounded like that. I'm trying to get you to see that it's not wisdom. Ask yourself this question when it comes to drinking any amount of alcohol. In light of your past experience, your current circumstance, and your future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do in regards to consuming intoxicating beverages? Not what's right, not what's fair, not what's legal, what's wise. I have been unwise. Hopefully I'm wising up a little bit more than I than I had was yesterday. Every day gets better. Do I fall? Do I make mistakes? Yes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this deliberate fist in the air. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it because I'm free in God. That's what I'm talking about. And that stinks, you guys. Yeah, it stinks. It stinks bad. Listen, if you are walking with Jesus Christ and he is your Lord and Savior and you are proclaiming a lifestyle that is sober-minded, you have no business consuming alcoholic beverages. Bottom line, they're toxic. They're bad for you. They do not enhance your witness for Christ. If anything, they destroy it. They're way above the percentage of alcohol that was in the New Testament and the Old Testament, which, by the way, by Jewish custom was watered down to make absolutely sure people were not intoxicated. I'm telling you, come on now. All right. Well, enough out of me that I made a lot of enemies. God bless you anyway. Uh, I do love you and I do care about you, but knock it off, would you? Please. All right, Um, this Monday, we continue our show step-by-step towards emotional sobriety with Dr. Alan Berger. 
And uh, the show will be entitled Emotional Sobriety Inventory. You don't want to miss that right here at Take12Radio.com on your internet dial. Until next time, this is the Monty Man, and I am wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye now. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. She's a super cat, super cat, she's super kitty, meow. Yeah, kitty, 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 meow. <laughs>